Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's asked me on more than one occasion, did you stand by me? And my reply is typically, no, not at all. Here's my co-host from the left coast and the conductor on the train in vain. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a repeat revisitor. And if you didn't listen to the U2 Actung Baby Love Fest from several months ago, shame on you. Here's the man who sings his sad heart. Please welcome back to the podcast, Matt Nathanson. Hey, I have to get an intro. I have to figure out how to get an intro like Wayne. That's the greatest. (laughs) I mean, it's so good. I feel like it's like like wrestling, like WWE coming out. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, you know what the premise of our podcast is. We talk about music, but we got to ask the all important question. So, Wayne, let's start with you. What T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing David Bowie's Station to Station album cover. Perfect. And how about you, Matt? What what T-shirt are you wearing? Oh, this is so. I'm always fail this. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? I are you wearing another high school shirt, dude? I'm wearing I'm wearing a wrestling singlet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so good. I can't believe I wore my wrestling singlet on the night I should have worn a t-shirt. No, um, I, how about this? When I was in my closet today getting a sweatshirt out because during the COVID, I only have worn like three pieces of clothing. I bumped into a Def Leppard Hysteria t-shirt that lives in one of the shelves in my closet, and I thought. Oh, hey, I should wear that. So I'm wearing my Def Leppard Hysteria t-shirt. There you go. Nice. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and we, we'll, we'll be talking about Def Leppard here soon. Um, all right. Um, I'm wearing, Wayne, I'm wearing my Ships of Sailed shirt. <laughs> it's about time. Uh, I, I, I pulled it back out. So it's, it's my comfy shirt. So Matt, are you familiar with the LA band Ships of Sailed? No. Okay. They're they're newish. We had Will on uh, from from the uh, from the band doing some Stone Temple Pilots a couple months ago, and I, I told him that I would buy a T-shirt, and it's now my favorite T-shirt because it's super comfy. Oh yeah, I love it. All right, I'll check them out, and if the T-shirt fits, I'll go, I'm going deep. I'll get there a you go. Ships of Sail T-shirt. All right. Well, um, so since we recorded the Acting Baby episode, you recorded a three-hour deep dive on your own record, Some Mad Hope. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, that was a ton of fun. So I always like to know the background of how great records are created. And after listening to you guys talk about all your stories and you know you, you put together a great team of musicians and producers, um, I now have a, a, a feeling that Marshall Altman is about the coolest person in the world. <laughs> that's that is that, i mean he he is he's pretty great but uh but yeah he, he must have come off real good in that that's incredible that's quite a vote of confidence for marshall don't tell him that you feel that way <laughs> well so so i i can probably convince wayne that marshall's pretty cool too because i was looking at his discography and marshall produced will Hogue's small town dreams oh, oh yeah will Hogue. yes did have you worked with Marshall on other records of yours? So I w- worked on. I, so I've known Marshall long before he worked on the Some Mad Hope record, right? I, I think okay. I touched on it a little bit. He tried to sign me to Hollywood Records, 
in like 2000 and he's a writer himself and he sort of got me because we sat in the car and he was like, I want to sign you. And then I was like, okay. And then he played me a song of his that just knocked me over. And since this is a lyric episode, I will, uh, he, one of the lyrics is all the first line is all of a sudden it's been a long, long year. And I was just like, ah, that is a great line. And then the chorus was, does the highway still sound like a waterfall? Does it put you to sleep at night? And it was like, and I was just, I was sold and he's got a great voice and he's got, he's just a really all around, he hasn't, he he writes more as co-writes now, but back then he was kind of his own artist. And so I just sort of, we just became friends and then I didn't end up signing to Hollywood and then he went to Columbia and then long story longer when Mark (laughs) Weinberg and I, who went to college together, needed kind of an adult in the room during the making of the beginning of Some Mad Hope, I sort of said, well, how about Marshall? And that was how it happened. And then he produced some of the songs on Modern Love. We kind of had a little bit of a, a little bit of a falling out at that point. And then, uh, so he didn't do the whole record, but, um, and we haven't worked really since. Were you being a prima donna during that? No, no. I was trying to make people do things that they didn't want to do. Like I wanted I was trying really hard for everybody to work as a team. And when you bring individuals that aren't really team players together to be on a team and then you, and there's sort of something at stake, it becomes really hard. And so I thought at the beginning of modern love, I'd sort of like, I'd sort of say, Hey, let's, let's do this thing a little differently this time. I want, you know, I want it to be a little more balanced between you and Mark and I want to, and I just tried to over engineer humans, which is never good. So (laughs) I should have kind of just let them be the adults and figure it out and let the whole process just kind of move. But at that point I was feeling strongly that I, that I, we could do it more efficiently than we did. And, and I, and it just didn't work. And then, yeah. And then there was like another little, incident but yeah it's all good we're good now is is that why you and aaron work so well together is you're kind of the 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 loud one and he's just the guy who says yeah i can do that yeah there's it's funny it's it's funny the dynamic between in creatives as you know is like there can be sort of the loud one and then the quiet one right like you have with the the the, i'll use examples that are not me right the smiths right you have johnny marr who can sort of exist in a band with morrissey you have johnny marr who can exist in a band with chrissy hine he was in the pretenders for a second he was in it's like you can the, have somebody who, yeah the modest uh, mouse you know, I mean, all these people with very strong lead people yeah. and 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 that that's sort of like the person who there's other it's examples everywhere but but for me um in this particular incarnation of my life, Aaron is really helpful on every level and he's creatively involved and it's great. And then if I need to bash up against people, we'll bring them in. And, you know, like I made my new record with Butch Walker and like, luckily Butch and I are really good friends, but there's a definitely in order for creativity to really like for me, at least there has to be some sort of collision. And I think, it, um, Aaron and I are just best friends and he's an incredible right hand human and he creates and it's great. And then there's another aspect of creativity where the collision is really important. So I just try and keep a balance between those two things yeah. as, as much as I can. And Butch seems like he's very alpha. So you get you and Butch in the same room. 
That's yeah. got to be that's got to be like dynamic, luckily, very dynamic. Yeah, luckily we have the same nerdy influences. So it's like <laughs> so we can so we we really do reference all the same shit when we're in there. And it's like and he works really fast and he's he's stupidly talented. And so yeah. it's like I find that I just kind of hold on and then we kind of go and then it gets to a place and then I can kind of say, yeah, that didn't really, there's only, there was only a couple on this record that, that I was felt like, Hey, that one really didn't work. Like, do you know what I mean? Cause everything else we sort mm-hmm. of got to a place and it was like, Oh yeah, that's better than I thought it would be. And then there were a couple where I was like, oh, I think I envisioned this differently, you know, but he's, he's real good at all that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. When is new record coming out? Yeah, so it was supposed to come out now, <laughs> and there was a tour for the fall, and uh, obviously that idea, we just kind of moved it out a year, because yeah. I feel like nobody wants new music, like, even though people are releasing new music, like Jason Isbell put out a record, and, you know, everybody's starting to, but it's like, I still don't really want it, and I know that, like, part of the world is not social distancing, and they're pretending that COVID is sort of like a fluke that doesn't really exist anymore, or whatever it is. But it's like it very much exists, in, at least in my world. And I feel like releasing a record at this time, especially, and then the things that are happening with Black Lives Matter, it just feels like not the time to, yeah. to be like, you know what's important? How I feel. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Jesus. Uh-huh. So we just kind of tabled it and, and we're just kind of going to kind of play it by ear and see how everything unfolds. Yeah. So I will tell you as a consumer of music, I, I was so grateful to have reunions by Isbell playing on my turntable. So, Oh, that's great to hear. But, but there's other records that I should have been more excited about that. I just haven't been super excited. Yeah. Are you a super Jason nerd? Like, do you just think he's the cat's pajamas? Um, I don't know if I think he's the cat's pajamas, but I think that he's super talented and I like, there's a few guys on Twitter that I always have to go see what they're saying. And he's one of them. Totally. Wayne, what, how about you for music? Did you, is there any new music that's been blowing your mind? No, I still listen to the old music. I only listen to the new music that Ben tells me to listen to. (laughs) It's just like, there's so much going on. And then I, he keeps this very rigorous uh, podcast recording schedule, so then I'm re- I'm listening to that, and I I find it. It's like I love to hear. I was like I heard there was new X, and I did pull it up and listen to it. And uh, I have also I he turned me on to Jason Isabel. I I had it was a name I'd heard, but I never listened to. And then um, I I uh, listened to Southeastern, and it actually became uh, one of my one of my favorite. Uh, or no, the Nashville Sound. That's the one that I listen to that I absolutely love. So one of my favorite songs on it. And then, of course, then I we we dove into Southeastern with uh, Ken Yates, and I'm a huge Jason Isabel fan. So I'm digging that record. But yeah, I find I literally do find all the new music through Ben. That's yeah. great. I like that. That's fun. Uh, well, I will say you you just brought up Ken Yates, so I, I just got his vinyl last week in the mail, and so I've been spinning that a lot as well. So. So really, for new music, it's Jason Isbell and Ken Yates, and that's yeah. about it. <laughs> and everything else just kind of floats by. I, I just, I felt like you know, no touring for the foreseeable future, and it's like I just, and for me, it's also this moment to kind of also say, 
all right, let's write some more songs and see if we can knock some of these ones off. That mm-hmm. That's the other part that's sort of neat is like, I've already started writing for the next record, but if some of these songs raise their hand as being a better fit, then we can kind of knock songs off. And that's always fun. I'm, I'm always down for that kind of, that kind of like Highlander vibe. <laughs> there you go. All right. So a couple other questions that I've got from the live stream or Zoom meeting or whatever you, what did you guys end up formally calling your little get together? Oh my God. It was the Some Mad Hope live stream listening hootenanny, I think. Was what it was. Okay. All right. All right. That word doesn't get used enough. Yeah. No, it does not. A replacements record as well, if we're going to talk about great punk, punk rock. That's it. We'll, um, we'll, we'll bring that up. Um, all right. So, whatever happened to Susie McNeil? So she, I just saw Susie maybe like four months, five, well now we've been in lockdown three. So maybe six months ago I went and visited Susie in Vegas because she was, it, she sings with Steven Tyler oh. and she was in Aerosmith. So she was at the residency singing backgrounds for Aerosmith. And then she, her band Loving Mary backed Steven Tyler up for his whole kind of solo career. So she's just kind of kicking ass and currently, uh, you know, staying at home in Toronto. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, would you have been okay with her as the lead singer of NXS? Uh, that's I, so I never saw that show. Oh, you didn't? No, because that's not my thing. So because I felt like NXS really, as much as I love the the writing of the Ferris brothers and you know, or yeah. really, I, I I just thought NXS like it was kind of like the Doors in that respect. It's like Nobody can, when you try and cover an NXS song, it's impossible because yeah. it's all his attitude. It's yeah. all his swagger. Swag. And so I thought the idea of replacing him was kind of impossible. And it's funny because you, I would think the same thing with ACDC, right? I would have thought Bon Scott died. There's no way you're going to get somebody in there with the swagger and power of Bon Scott. And then you get Brian Johnson. So it's possible. But um, but I never watched it because I was such a Michael Hutchins devotee, and I just thought that nobody's going to be able to pull these off because the songs were good. But what was really good about them was his his interpretation of them was just yeah. so yeah. good. Have you watched the uh, the the documentary Mystify? It's, it's it's first in my queue. Literally, yeah. like last night, we we only had a half hour, so we watched extras that show that which is the best. But then, uh, but it's the next like real thing I'm going to watch. You will cry. Oh, he was so very talented, and I get Ooh. that. Like, I get it. But in excess, I mean, listen, like thieves, Shabu Shaba, Kick. You know, like these are brutally good records and and he sell like never tear us apart there's a reason nobody's really covered that song well it's like you can't no you can't because it's all him it's like he just could sell you he could have sung cereal you know ingredients to you and you would have been like i don't know i'm gonna have sex with that box yeah we had a yeah we got i got pretty deep into the how i had a a huge man crush on my glass he was sexy not even gonna lie i mean he, he just was so sexy. It was like in his thing. And it's like he wasn't particularly attractive in the in the traditional sense, but he was like beautiful. He was, he was a wonder to behold. And then the thing in that movie where Bono says, you know, Bono pays him that compliment of like, but he just sounded like he was a person who just loved life. You know what I mean? For, you know, and struggled, but like really like sucked the marrow out of the moments 
But, yeah. So. Yeah. So you mentioned that at some point you didn't work on a song. Instead, you sat around and talked about Streets of Fire. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't remember much about that movie. I mean, I watched it probably in 1985. So the question I have for you, should I rewatch it? So I still cry during the last scene of Streets of Fire. And I'll tell you a thing about Streets of Fire. First of all, Diane Lane and Michael Pare, two of the best looking people in the world. So it's definitely yes. not hard to watch them do anything that you could watch them like, you know, swing a bat at like a kid and you'd be like, that's so great. You know, <laughs> they're just like so good looking that you sort of forgive whatever their sins are for being sort of, you know, anyway, so Diane Lane is murder. And so is Michael Pare. And uh, tonight is what it means to be young, which is the sort of the big final scene song written yeah. by Jim Steinman, who did all the meatloaf stuff. And in the band, I have so many stories about this. Like, so Angelo, who did the, you know, who did the Kings of Leon record, he mm-hmm. was he was in the band face to face that was the band that backed up uh, Diane Lane in the film. And yeah, so, Lori Sargent was yes, the voice yep. for Diane. Yep, and Lori Sargent. So, oh, I have. I don't know if I can actually reveal this story because it's like, but there was a lot of drama around it. And and, okay. and I'm from Boston, and Face to Face was a big band in Boston. Like that 1098 song was a big song. Like they were one of one of my favorites from the 80s. Love yes. that song. And so we had a we had our own music station called V66 that was different than MTV. It happened on like one of the, it, on 66. So like you know the the channel you know when you didn't have cable and you could watch and they pounded the face-to-face record and they pounded everybody the first version of extreme they all they're all the boston bands got there so i was like in you know but yeah so laurie Sargent sang all the parts and every time i watch the end tonight is what it means to be young i cry the part where he's where the song down sort of downshifts to let the rebels begin let the fire be started we're dancing for the restless and the broken hearted and there's like a moment when it does it and i'm just i am there's like a chemical reaction in that song. And then you, the visual of her singing it all emotional. It's terrible. I mean, like no other human should like, I don't think a real human would enjoy it, but so I recommend it and I see it. I watch it probably every six months. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh dude, it's so bad and so good all at the same time. Okay. That's, that's your next live stream. You need to do like a watch party for streets of fire. Dude, I don't want to, I don't want to know if people need to see me ball i mean there's just like such a dude that song is so good i mean and you know jim steinman wrote a lot of really like if i kiss you like this right, can right. I they're all pretty much the same song and he and tying it into def leppard he was brought on to produce hysteria when mutt lang didn't want to do it and they paid um, him a lot of money and then they ended up having to fire him because it wasn't good right. um but anyway because they made joe elliott sing like meatloaf probably I just think Def Leppard works very specifically, especially since they worked with Mutt Lang. And I think that I, I just don't think that, uh, in fact, Jim Steinman's not a producer. He didn't really even produce bad out of hell. Really? Hmm. It, I think it was okay. Todd Rundgren. Like I get the feeling that he's a songwriter and he kind of understands how things go, but as a producer, he's fairly green or limited. And so Def Leppard was, you know, following up Pyromania and it was just like, and 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 they've been used to working with Mutt, who works very specifically. A guy yeah. such a nerd, <laughs> unbelievable. So so going back to Lori. So did you did you like her work with what was it Twineman? 
Did you no, listen so to that? It was Twyman the thing with Mark Sandman? Yeah, well, it was, it was, well, Mark had already passed away, but it was the guys from Morphine. Right. Back to her. I remember. I, d- yeah. I, d- I don't think I ever heard it. Is that a good, is it's, that a good? Yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. Um, it kind of reminds me of, um, a little bit of Portishead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'll check out Twyman. Yeah. All right. Uh, one other thing. Um, so how many texts or messages or emails after the live stream did you get? So when are you going to start playing Sooner Surrender Live? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of... Uh, I bet really, there was. People really like... I appreciate it. So we're kind of doing this other thing, and I went through and listened to a bunch of old songs recently. And it's like people get really horny for like... Songs of mine from like a record, a song called Church Clothes and a song called yeah. Alton's Head before. And, and that's really neat. But like listening through to them now, that is definitely a nostalgia thing because it they just aren't as good. Do you know what I mean? As like, it's funny how people get attached and I'm the same way. I feel like, so I, so I respect it and I get it. But from just a purely songwriting, analytical way it's like those songs are like one dimensional and they're just angry man folk like which i love but it's like they really have one speed you know what i mean and so it's sort of like saying it it just i just feel like the writing has gotten better and and going through old songs so when people say sooner surrender is great and i listen to it i'm like oh this is a really good song and it's like but is it but you know it's not it it's i know why i don't play it <laughs> You know, like there's moments where listening through to a lot of my older stuff recently, I, I get why some of them I'm like, oh, man, we should play this more. And then some of them are like, I definitely know why we don't. So it's not because of it's like, oh, this was a painful chapter in my life. I can't play this because it reminds me too much of a bad breakup or my dog died or whatever. There's only a couple of those. I only have a couple songs that um, that are not particularly fun to sing. Like hmm. um, Bulletproof Weeks. And it's funny enough, okay. you want to hear the truth? Sooner Surrender is kind of one of those things. It's like I listened through to it and I was like, wow, this is. Ay, ay, ay. So there's a, there's a couple of those that. And it's and, and just in closing, the, the, about, about the idea of creativity, I had this fascinating talk with my manager and, I, and, it, and it made me think of something. I thought I said in the in that in that sort of live stream, I said, I'd never felt sexier than I did at that time in my life. Right. Like that there was never like it. And that's why this, there's so much sexy in those songs, I guess, like why it feels so, why people thought it worked. And it's like, and then my manager said something great, which was that, that he just said, when you feel good about yourself and you feel confident about yourself, that's, and you feel like you're capable of things. That's when the creativity really steps up. And it's like, it's, it's not naivete as much as it is just complete confidence in the self. And that, that that's the place. If you create from that place, the stuff is really effective. And if you create from any other kind of place, like wanting to win or wanting to, it, it doesn't mean you're not hungry, but when you feel like you're worth it, create creatively, it, it, you can hear it in the songs. Like, and, and it makes sense for bands as to why certain bands stop being feeling uh, important on record and why some bands don't. And we talked about 
before we got on and I won't name names or whatever, but there's just certain bands that you can feel there was a, there was a need for them and a confidence in their message that was there that you were just like, they needed to get it out. And so it's, it, it, the joy of that translates into, even if it's angry music, there's this joy of like self love that comes through on records. And when you lose that, Records kind of become a little more two-dimensional. When when you're bringing up the creativity plus confidence thing, I mean, just go back to our previous comments about Michael Hutchins, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. When he started to doubt himself and when he started to feel unattached from in excess, and when you can feel it on the records, and I I don't know what they talk about in the movie, but there's definitely a moment where you're like, oh, he didn't want this. Like, kick happened, and then you're like, oh, and the record after kick X, um, but it, X. X, but like at that point you're like, wasn't suicide blonde yes. on that record? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's really the end. Like that's the moment where you get that he got scared or didn't enjoy. He, it, that he want, he wanted more from his band and he wanted more from his career and he started to get self-conscious creatively. And I think that's, and even though, because he wrote the lyrics, right. And he performed yep. the songs, but John Ferris wrote all the, melodies and parts or something i don't know how it all worked in that band but but you can smell it on those records from x forward you know that one like greetings from the new world and all that stuff and it's like you're like oh boy this is a aimless band at this point like a band that was so powerful and then all of a sudden they feel really aimless it's it's a strange trip and that doesn't mean there's not valid shit in there but they just it stops being a, and a cohesive unit also in a band. That's yep. the other part is that when, when you get dysfunction, it's like yep. game over. Agreed. Um, all right. Other things I've been watching during the, uh, the shutdown. So the Richard Mark social distancing videos, this is the best. Wayne Richard did a video with Duff McKagan. Huh. And, uh, Duff is pretty much one of Wayne's dream guests. So, um, <laughs> You should probably oh, yeah. go. Should probably go check that out. Um, so I got a question for you because you were on one of those videos as well. Um, when did the bromance start with Richard? I don't know. Like I think we met on Twitter. It's really crazy because he's. I love that guy, and I saw him in concert way back in the day. But like I and and I loved the first record. But I wouldn't consider myself like a. He's just a like. He's just like the best human. So it's like, it didn't come from, it felt very much like a person. If I had been like an uber, uber Richard Marks fan, right? Like any of that, there's always like a space that happens between you and the person, right? That like, like I'm friendly with Joe Elliott from Def Leppard. And it's like, I know I'm never going to be that guy's guy. Because I like fucking love Def Leppard. You know what I mean? It's, It's like impossible. Yeah. And Richard, I had a respect for his writing. I thought he was super talented and I loved the first record and I saw him on that tour. But really it was just like, he's just like such a stellar fucking human. And we just get along so well that it's like, we talk all the time and text all the time and we have similar views. And when we don't have similar views, we listen and talk to each other about it. It's it's like, I treasure him as a human in my life. Yeah. He's like a fucking awesome. Well, when he called me out on Twitter for the wording of my Billy Joel poll, I wore it like a badge of honor. He gets so bent out of shape. He's the best. And and I purposely worded it in a way that I knew was going to ruffle some feathers in the Billy Joel camp. 
So, so I look, I mean, most of my polls, I may get 30 votes that got over 600 votes just because the Billy Joel people just got their panties in a bunch because I said, when did, when did Billy stop being cool? And look for, for me, Billy's always going to be cool. Even, even though I hate river of dreams, the record, in the middle of the night. I just hate that song. But the, but but one of the greatest songs that have ever that's ever been written is on that record. So wait, which one? Uh Good Night My Whatever, what is what is it called? Um now I gotta look it up. Because I was not I, w- I was not going to start talking about Billy Joel. I really wasn't. Did you read that Billy Joel book? I, I read it at Thanksgiving. Um it was sort of like a biography on him. I haven't read it. Mm-mm. Was it's it good? Pretty good. It's 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 okay. I, you can feel that the author wants to please him, which is always a tough place to read a biography from. <laughs> uh, but it was fun to read about his life. He's a fascinating character, and he's I- exceptionally talented. I mean, like yeah. stupid, stupid, stupidly talented. Uh, good night, my angel. Lullaby. Lullaby. All right, I'll find that. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, because that. Well, we could do Billy Joel, but that's not what we're here for. No, we're but not. We're not. I got roasted on Twitter for saying that, for posting, for something about Bono. I went on a rant about Bono on Twitter, and a bunch of U2 fans came over and got mad that I said he wasn't, that he wasn't sexy, which is like something that he has said himself. Right. Like I said, for, for a very unsexy band, they made really sexy music on the, you know, on this thing. And people were like, I, it's amazing to me that like, if you know that social media is a fucking terrible platform, if I am defending, like if I'm being ripped apart for you, for you too, you too. I, I mean, there's nothing in the world I know better than that band. Like I have a fucking doctorate in that band and it's like, and, and, and all of a sudden all these people were taking it personally. And I was just like, Oh wow. Social media sucks. I was like, here yeah. it is. Yeah. Exhibit a, like, I'm being roasted for the, the thing I like more than anything on earth. It's like, and then somebody said, I talked about how the first half of Joshua tree is magical. And it's like, and the second half is great, but it is, it, it's fucking fat, man. It's great. And I love it. But you can tell that they put all the effort into the first five songs and the, because the B sides from that record and the second side of that record are very kissing cousins. Yeah. They, they work together in a way where you're like, oh, I get it. They could have been in trip through your wires could have been luminous times could have been. It's all, you know, it's all part of it. So all of a sudden someone says, and it's one of those things, right? They pick on the wording and someone was like, well, you should try this in the second side too. And I was like, motherfucker, I've listened to the second side. And then someone was like, if you like that, give Octung Baby a spin. And I was like, you're, this is the, I hate human. I hate humanity. I'm out of here. Like I was like, fuck it. And I took Twitter off my phone and I was like, I can't win on this platform. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, you did, you did with uh, Richard, you did a, what song, what Def Leppard song is better. And, yeah. and you pretty much decided that photograph is the greatest song of all time. It's one of the greatest songs yeah, of all time. So it's definitely the greatest Def Leppard song in my opinion. Yeah. I, I can stand behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, do we need to do a Richard Marks? One of those things. What's so what's, my what's, favorite, if I had to pick my favorite, so hold on to the night. Like, so because I covered it, you covered it. I just, right. that song is 
magical. Like there's songs on that record, like don't mean nothing. Endless summer don't nights. Mean nothing, that's don't mean, I mean, there's, and then hazard and he's written songs now, even that like that, but to me, hold on. Like they're just, there's a couple, like when I hear endless summer nights, it's like, that's a fucking great song. And, and if I had to pick my favorite, hold on to them. Like, I, I mean, it just, it's so good. Every time that, chorus comes around i'm like i'm sold on it like it, hold on to the nights is a perfect song in my opinion yeah. it's like it's i like it better than wherever you go whatever i can't you do. i can't listen to that song i really can't i just there, there's two songs of his that i just can't listen to that's one of them the second one is should have known better because i i bought the record because the girlfriend at the time really liked Richard Marks. And as soon as she and I broke up, the song that kept coming back to me was, I should have known better that I shouldn't have ever dated you, Tara. (laughs) You know who you are. You know who you are, Tara. Tara. I have no. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it's just one of those songs that is always going to be associated with an ex-girlfriend. So yeah, should have known better. Great. I mean, dude, that first record. I mean, he's got, but should have known better. Don't mean nothing. Endless summer nights. Hold on to the nights. Oh Jesus! His new record's actually really good. Really good. Yeah, I love. Uh, it's he's super. He's stupidly talented. He's really? a great writer. Really, and he's got a yeah. stupid voice. His voice is frustrating it's like his looks it's like as he gets older it seems to get better and it's like really frustrating for those of us who don't particularly think our voices or our faces are getting better yeah he makes me sick because he still has the same hair that's on that 87 record i know dude it's that's a, it's just not a, fair it's not fair it's not fair richard marks <laughs> and he's funny as shit he had a he had a tweet where he said at the beginning of 2020 i'm gonna start answering the phone go for dick <laughs> he needs to run for office I've, i'll vote i would totally vote for yeah. for him and rex chapman needs to be his vice president yeah rex chapman seems to tweet a lot of good stuff uh, those are my two favorite twitter twitter guys that's awesome all right um so for this episode we decided to do something a little different so instead of ranking a record like we typically do for our episodes. We all came prepared with five selections, songs with great lyrics. So who, who wants to, who wants to go first? I just want to preface this by saying I avoided the obvious. I avoided Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, Lou Reed. You know, uh, I, I avoided the ones that you'd go to Nick cave was on the fence for me, but I avoided all sort of like the, the, I wanted to go a little bit, a little bit deeper than that. So I think you and I both kind of had the same mentality and Wayne did not Wayne. I embraced it. You went with some of the tried and trues and I I uh, embraced it. I went with my probably uh, three of my favorite songwriters of all time. you know what? I take that. I, Mick Jones is not one of my favorite songwriters of all time, but the other four are are in my right in my top right. echelon well, yeah, of people's songs. Oh my god! Well, why don't we let Wayne pick first? Then, what's what's your first pick? 
I will go with I'll go with Elvis Costello. I picked uh, and this is not a, the a more widely known song by Elvis Costello, Riot Act, but it's a great example of those of those one sided conversations he sings about where you're only getting his side of it, but you can but from the words you can you can tell that and, and he's not he's not usually the guy that's on the side of right. I mean, sometimes there's cheating songs where he he might be have the higher ground, but usually and especially in this one with the lines where um, you know, trying to be so bad is bad enough. Don't make me laugh by talking tough. Like he's being a smart ass. This girl's breaking up with him and she's telling him all the things he's done wrong. And he's, he, you could get that he knows he's wrong, but he's standing his ground and actually being, he's not contrite at all. And he's being actually a little bit, he's instigating trouble with it. And it's, it just, I've been in that conversation. I've been on that side of it. And I just love the way he handles uh, the moments, the way he can write about these, these, these very specific situations and just bring them to life. Like we did the first album and, uh, and less than zeros on there. And this is a whole song wrapped around this obscure British politician that I, that nobody outside of, of England knows, but it's a, such a great song. You don't even, it made me want to find out who Oswald Mosley was. Right. Right. And right act comes off of get happy and, probably not one of my favorite Elvis records, but there are, there are, there's, here's the thing about it. Get happy. Cause I would put it, it's, I want it to be my favorite Elvis Costello record, but it's got 20 songs in it. So it's got too much filler. Like I, you got to respect him for thinking, you know, I wrote these songs and they're good enough. They would need to be on a record, but some of them like they, they didn't compress it. That the, the vinyl goes all the way to the, to the, to the center hole. Like there's no, mm-hmm. There's no the singles on that record where I can't stand up for falling down. Yeah, that's and opportunities and uh, high fidelities on there. High so fidelity. it's got these, and then Riot Act, which is like I say, one of my personal favorites. So it's got these great songs on it, and then a lot of of I would say standard Elvis Costello songs. I mean, they're better than most people's songs, but they're not. He could have if he'd have trimmed it down, people would call this one of the greatest albums of all time. Did you ever hear that Malcolm Gladwell podcast on Hallelujah? It's the best. That is the best is, podcast episode of any ever. podcast ever. Yes. So and good. He talks about that Elvis Costello song, but he talks about Elvis's evolution of a song called um, Mutineer. Is that what it's called? That uh, sounds right. No, that's a Warren Zevon song. Oh, well, anyway, keep talking. I'll figure it out. But um, yeah, man, Elvis, is, yeah. did anyone read his book? I I have I have it I haven't started. Um, 
But I could have, like I say, I, we, I even toyed with just picking five Elvis Costello songs. I probably could yeah. have picked five songs off of uh, Get Happy, but ultimately that would have that would have left out my all time favorite artist of all time. So I had to, I mixed it up. But yeah, Elvis Costello to me is the greatest living songwriter. He's my favorite living songwriter. Wow, I like this. I mean, you know what's funny, Spike that record, which I totally kind of I didn't even pay attention to at the time. Um, is is like airtight. Yeah, it's one of his most air- and brutal youth. I love obviously, but like, but Spike was is airtight. Yeah. Those songs. There's a song so on cool. on Spike called "This Town," which is one of my favorite oh. Elvis Costello songs. What right. a great yeah, song! That is just a great song. Well, and then other end of the tell it like the, the he wrote that song with Amy Mann and then put it on all this useless beauty. But the Till Tuesday record has one of my favorite records of all time is the third Till Tuesday record. And on it is a song called the, as other end of the telescope, which is just lyrically Great killing. Song. Not to mention what, 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 what shall we do with all this useless beauty? What a line. The, the Elvis song is the deportees club. Oh yeah. And then the, the new version is called deportee. Right. So it's like he, he, it starts as deportees club and he did it on that record with what record is it on? Is it on, um, uh, Goodbye, crew world. Okay. And then, so Wayne, if you have a chance to listen to it, it's a real amazing podcast. And and he talks about the evolution of a song and how a song's never done for some people and how Elvis chips away at the song and it becomes a completely different thing, you know, from what it had been. They're really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, It's great. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, so the lyric on here that I highlighted, Wayne, was why do you talk such stupid nonsense when my mind could rest much easier instead of all this dumb, dumb insolence, I would be happier with amnesia. Yeah, and there's just, I love the chorus, but I love, I, the one I love is uh, don't put your heart out on your sleeve when your remarks are off the cuff. I mean, it's just full of stuff like that. But the, the line in the first verse about, but it doesn't, because he keeps going, he keeps saying forever. He kind of highlights the word forever in the first three lines. And he goes, but it doesn't look like I'm going to be around much anymore. It's just. Yeah, that's a great line. He is amazing. He's just, um, and then the idea of the villain in a million, like make, he's making himself out to be special. Like I'm the bad guy. I might as well be the baddest guy there is. Are you dedicating that song to ex-wife number one or ex-wife number two? It's even more than ex-wives. I've had this. I've been in this conversation where the where the where it shifts, and you know you're. It's it's like emptying both barrels. You know you got no chance, so you just might as well go out with style. Make it sound like it's your idea. <laughs> All right. Incredible. Perfect. All right, Matt. Yeah. What what do you got for uh, your first selection? And, and keep in no. mind, keep keep in mind, we're not saying that this is like our top five songs of all time because i don't know how i would i would oh dude it's it was really hard to do this yeah it's really hard because some songs the lyrics are great because the melody is great or the track is great or the thing is great and then when you analyze them and you remove them from that they don't have the same power and that was what i found was really the most difficult and so i had to kind of boil it down to songs that just read really well that i also happen to love um so there's a song uh, by Sean Colvin called Kill the Messenger that's on a record called Fat City. Sometimes 
Sean Colvin, I think, is a underrated talent, like brutally good writer, singer, m melody writer, lyricist. And this song, I've tried to rip off this song more than any song in my whole life. Um, <laughs> like every time, every time I need an idea, it's so chock full of ideas that um, that I just kind of go to it, and I'm like, oh, this is the, maybe this is what Kill the Messenger would do. This, you know, it's like. Um, I'll read you the sort of the moments that really work. It's like um, she uses things like Jane, the bruise colored clouds, the smell of the ground and the ripening air. Like that's a great line um, just from like a visual standpoint. And then she, the second verse, she says, um, sometimes the beauty, oh, this is the pre of the second. Sometimes the beauty of life hits like lightning, washing everything clear. And these dimmers of doubt, flicker, fade out, and disappear. But Jane, that's a luxury. There are those of little faith, it seems, and they beg for truth like charity. And I see them on every street corner. They're holding out one righteous hand while the other leads the marching band. Like, that's great. And then I get the last verse, she says, she goes, Jane, they'll whisper your name, but you won't feel the chains, you won't see the moss. Jane, there's an art to the game, the aesthetics of love, the athletics of loss. This line, sometimes someone drifts by. This is such a great line about love. So it like, and, and being, but, but being perpetually alone and having no faith. And, and it ties into that first part. She says, sometimes someone drifts by and our nets get entwined in the sea. And in time I might find they still mean something to me. But Jane... That's a luxury. There are those of little faith in me, and they pull me down like gravity, and I see them on every street corner. They're masters in the sleight of hand. They're dancers, and they step so grand in the shibboleth of shadow and heed the messenger, kill the messenger. But that idea of like something, sometimes someone drifts by, like she talks about relationships in the most set, like if you've ever had like mental health issues, it's like, that's how it feels. Sometimes someone, it's like not, I meet someone and I fall in love or I meet someone and I, we connect. And she says it like, sometimes someone drifts by and our nets get entwined in the sea. And in time I might find they still mean something to me. It's like, that is so detached mm -hmm. in such a, in such a way that I relate to. And it's so mentally ill <laughs> that it's like, it moves me to no end. And, and she ties, you know, she changes slight things because the first verse and the second verse they kind of have all the same ideas and she just changes out lines. And so I just think it's a masterful song. And then it happens to be an incredible performance and the, the melody's great. And she's just a, awesome. And I think this is yeah. like a really great song. Yeah. And I always thought I just never could figure out why she wasn't bigger. And I, I one the one thing that I love about this song is that, you know, she uses Jane, so it makes it sound personal, like she's speaking to one specific person, but it's clearly Jane, which is a very kind of, uh, I just lost the word, uh, but she's more speaking to just, you know, not, maybe not even women in general, but people in general. But like I say, she puts a name on it and makes it sound personal, but at the same time, it's it's got this bigger, this much bigger concept to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I read somewhere that it was about Jane, like Jane, 
Mansfield? Or, I don't know. I'm losing. I, I'll look and see if I can find it. But I, I think in theory, she's singing it to, to a specific, like maybe an author, Jane or a, whatever. And, but, but like you're saying, it becomes universal because universal. it's Jane. Cause nobody else knows that. And, and then it's about her essentially. Do you know what I mean? Like she's reassuring herself. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember. So my first introduction to Sean Colvin was not her own music. She did that record called cover girl where she just covered Tom Waits and she covered the police. I mean, every little thing she does is magic. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, like I think her next record after that was the one where it had Sonny came home, which was, that was a big, yeah, that was a big record. Um, And that, if you read the lyrics to that, I mean, that is, uh, that, that guts you. If you know what that, that song is about, it's about somebody who, comes home with HIV and you know, Sonny came home with a list of names and didn't believe in transcendence. I think that's the, that's the line. Uh, yeah. It's, she's, she's great. Underappreciated. So good. Oh, yeah. And on that record, there's, there's a song called, um, she has a song called trouble. That's on a record called these four walls, I think. And it's like, I go to trouble like a magnet, you know, it's like, she's just super good at riding shotgun down the avalanche. Uh, from the first record. I mean, I know I'm missing ones, but oh God, she's great. Yeah. All right. So my first pick is In the Shape of a Heart by Jackson Brown. Uh, This is from Jackson's 1986 record, Lives in the Balance. And if you kind of know what the story is about um, or the song is about, it makes it, I think, to me, more poignant. So... He, he has been on record of saying that this song specifically addresses uh, his first wife, Phyllis, who essentially, I, th- I think they said it was a drug overdose, but uh, some other things that I've read was that it was a suicide. And just, just knowing that, I mean, the line of... Um, I guess I never knew what she was talking about. I guess I never knew what she was living without. And so knowing the story behind that song just makes that verse a dagger to me. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys that I, uh, I, I feel like, you know, you kind of read Sean Colvin, her lyrics, like it was poetry um, there are a lot of different songs by Jackson that I could read in that same vein where it's just, it's poetry right. to me. Um, and then the, the, the other, uh, verse of people speak of love, don't know what they're thinking of, wait around for the one who fits just like a glove. They speak in terms of belief and belonging, try to fit some name to their longing. And then if you listen to the, the, the song, he kind of pauses there. There's a little bit of, of musical interlude. And then he just kind of says, people speak of love. Like, like I, I still have tried to dissect that, whether or not he's, he's saying that in a flippant manner or if he's saying that in a longing manner where it's like, well, people speak of love and I hope that someday maybe I find it. 
guess I never knew she was talking about. I guess I never knew she was living without. Some ancient fight about the size of a fist, something thrown that had Anyways, I just really love this song. This is this is my go-to Jackson Brown song. Um, the rest of the record, it's not real good, but the song is great. So hey, where did this come in, in, in terms of the lawyers and love record? Where was the lives and the balance came after? after, after. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, he has that line, you keep it up. You try so hard to keep a life from coming apart and never know the shallows and the unseen reef that are there from the start in the shape of a heart. Woo. Shit. So good. It's so yeah, good. That's real. That's good. Yeah. There you go, Jackson. I thought there was a little bit, Jackson Brown is a controversial figure, right? Yeah. Like, oh, sure. Yeah. And, and there's this, you know how like Woody Allen movies get sort of poured over now because everybody, and and they see, you know, it's always his relationship with a young woman or a young girl. And isn't there a line in shape of heart? And I don't want to ruin it, but where it's like the hole in the wall where the, Oh yeah. And it's like some ancient prize, some ancient fight about the size of a fist. I, I took pause on that, you know, no judge. I mean, I have my judgments, but it's uh, we're not judging here. We're just talking about <laughs> records. But uh, it was a fascinating uh, reveal on a certain level, whether or not, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Wayne, any any comments on yeah, this song? Yeah, and he's one, like I say, he did, he fell out of favor after the end of his marriage with Daryl Hannah for obvious reasons. And But prior to that, um, like I say, I grew up, my, my parents were huge Eagles fans, and he's, not only did he help him, did he write one of their best songs, but his style always always fit in that. So I've always liked Jackson Brown, and I I actually really enjoyed Lawyers in Love, and I I I don't know no, why. Such a great song. <laughs> That's a great. But, song. Well, we we did Late for the Sky, which I had heard songs off of it, but never that actually became my probably my favorite. The title track to that's my favorite uh, Jackson Brown yep. song. Yeah, yeah, and I'm trying to remember what the 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 timeline was of all the Daryl ha- Hannah stuff was that was that early nineties later yeah it was probably early nineties because yeah. it was after all of his he wasn't particularly I didn't have anything on the charts I don't believe no. at the time and if you want a very unheralded record I would say um, probably my favorite Jackson Brown record is I'm alive from 93. Oh yeah. That was a, that was a big one for him. A kind of resurgence. One. That was, yeah. I never, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get into that one at the time. I think I was, I think it, I was out on it, but I'll check it out. Yeah. It's good. All right, Wayne, what's your next pick? I, the river by Bruce Springsteen. Mary, 
think I chose this one for to highlight a point that I a feeling that I have. And good songwriters can can tell a story in their song. A great songwriter can feel like he's telling your story in a song. And this one, obviously, you know, this guy, you know, boy meets girl, boy gets girl pregnant, boy gets a shotgun wedding, boy gets a a, a low paying manual labor job, and wonders where his life is and where it's gone. And then I, I and so that. Ben knows me well enough to know that's that's pretty much how it went. And so hearing the river always makes me impressed by Bruce Springsteen because I I had saw him on that you know Bruce on Broadway and he 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 didn't get married until he was a huge star probably was I don't know if he was in his forties or late thirties no kids so he didn't he didn't have any real life experience but when you listen to this song you would believe that he went that he was, that this was him, that this was, was his life story instead of mine. It's funny that you say that. I think that's Bruce Springsteen's superpower and his Achilles heel is that he's a little, he's not a little, he's full of shit, (laughs) but, but there's a thing, but there's a thing about it is like he wanted so badly to matter. And he read so many books in pursuit of like, a life outside of his life. And he was able to then digest that and then translate it into song that that is an incredible gift to be able to do that. And he, and you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm in and out of my Springsteen things. I think the river is a fucking great song. And I mean, I would have, I, I, I toyed with thunder road. I toyed with, uh. you know, there's a line Springsteen to me is like, like what you're saying about the river is like, it really is a story all the way through the songs that I was going to pick on my end. I was like, Oh really? There's just these, he just gets these power lines that happen every maybe four or five lines that are just like, I can't believe it. But then there's a lot of this sort of fat that happens, but the river, there's not any fat. It's really, it's a streamlined thing. And it's like, uh, yeah, he's, he was definitely, he was definitely a powerhouse. Yeah. And another one that I would, I, I almost, I considered choosing is there's a song on uh, Born in the USA called Darlington County, which it only, I sure. think, appeals to me because uh, the guy, the protagonist of the story, he's got a, a buddy named Wayne who keeps getting him in trouble. And <laughs> I, so I, I just always love that song. It's not, I mean, it's filler on Born in the USA, which is a, just an absolute great record, but it, it has this, it just has this unique, I have this unique fascination with him just for that. Yep. Brilliant Disguise to me is, is probably the most airtight um, whole. That was, I, I thought, oh, I could get away with that. You know, it, it does that thing where it builds, you know, every, at the end of every verse, it's the same refrain, but it means a different thing. You know, it's the same line and it's the hook of the song, but yeah. Yeah, good good pick. I, I have to say that on the the record, the river, um, I almost picked Drive All Night because it has one of my favorite opening lines. When I lost you, honey, sometimes I think I lost my guts too. Yeah, mm. he could just do stuff. I like just love. That. It. I mean, I just love it. Just like I mean, almost all the lines in Born to Run. I mean, are just all these Dude. just completely like nobody would ever. I would think to say these things, you know, dude, highways jam with broken yeah. arrows on a last chance power drive. Again, like yeah. they're over the, they're overwrought. Right. Which is why I didn't like why I sort of backed off like, but they do this thing that 
like really Baba O'Reilly by the who is the only other song that does it with such an emotional thing is like what thunder road and born to run do where it's like where he says, Sally, take my hand. We'll travel South cross the land, put out the fire and don't look past my shoulder. You know, like it's like, and I mean, it makes me, it's like, cause Pete Townsend was so, is so good and wanted so badly to get the fuck out of being himself. You know what I mean? And it's like, and that song is just, Oh God. So anyway, so I think Springsteen also kind of, cornered the market on that like we got this grab me let's do this let's you know put your hand in my hand and we'll make it happen some better than others you know or whatever but you know yeah yeah Yeah. all right matt what's your next choice oh my god i got all springsteened up (laughs) his book is and i was gonna say his autobiography and elvis costello's suffer in my opinion from the same problem which is like two people that can't shut the fuck up and can't say (laughs) something direct. Like if I, if I was going to say I ate steak that night, right. And Springsteen and Elvis Costello both would give you like two paragraphs before they even said, and you'd be like, did he have steak? Like what is happening? How does he feel about steaks? Yeah. 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 Like, Oh, that's great. So his ass itched and, and his dad likes steak. It's like, what the fuck? Just say you ate steak. So anyway, that's my problem with those two autobiographies. Um, let me see. What do I have here? I'll pick something that's pretty concise if we're going to talk about concise word use. So I went to college in Claremont, which is east of Los Angeles, and it had an incredible music scene. It was 91 when I went, and uh, th- things happened there because it was a, its proximity to Los Angeles. So I brought Ani DeFranco to play before she became sort of big. And we got Rage Against the Machine played their fourth show ever in our mail room. I saw Soundgarden right before they went on tour with Guns N' Roses, right before Seattle in the fall of 91 to like 30 people. And it's like, and Tool, Tool played a Halloween party, no doubt. I mean, it's just everything you'd think HR from Bad Brains came and like to a festival. It's like, if just the wildest shit happened. And I ran an open mic, um, and Ben Harper came from that scene and he, his family has a music shop in town and he, uh, we were tight, like he and I, and, and just this, it was just kind of this amazing group of people. And one of the people in that group was a kid named John Darniel and he has a band called the mountain goats. And he and I were classmates. He was a little older, but he was still a freshman when I was a freshman and he came to my open mic and played. And I was so blown away by it. And I, I couldn't believe it. He came in like at the last like I was closing up and he had come off. He worked, he worked at a hospital. So he did school then went to work, then came in, saw the flyer for this open mic and he played. And I was, I couldn't believe somebody was this good. And I laughed and and I cried because it was just everything he did was, was the best thing I'd ever heard. And he still makes records now and they're still amazing. And he's just sort of like another level writer. And this song that I picked is called Grendel's mother. I beat down the new path to the castle I come naked and alone I laid my son on beer I burned the wreath Fire overhead, water underneath You can stand up or you can run You and I both know what you've done And I will carry you home I will carry you home I will carry you home. 
teeth. And I'm not. I, it's an old song, and I'm not sure where in the in the he 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 shits songs like he just he keeps making music all the time. But if you're familiar with Beowulf, obviously, and Grendel being the you know the monster, so he wrote a song from the perspective of Grendel's mother, which I just thought was this amazing idea, right? And there's a there's a book called Grendel that's supposed, but really Beowulf is the is the guy. He's the one. He's the hero. He slays the monster. Right. And uh, Grendel's mother. I have to read the whole thing. I'll try and read it quick. But it's like the cave mouth shines by pure force of will. I look down on the world from the top of this lonely hill, and you can run and run some more from here all the way to Singapore. But I'll carry you home in my teeth. In the great hall, you drink red wine. So she's talking to Beowulf, and she's talking to all the soldiers that killed her kid. And she's saying, in the hill, in, in the great hall, you drink red wine, you chew meat off the bone. I beat down the new, a new path to the castle. I come naked and alone. I laid my son on the, on the, on the beer. I burned the wreath. I don't know how you pronounce that. I guess beer, but buyer. I, la- I laid my son on the buyer. I burned the wreath. Fire overhead, water underneath. You can stand up or you can run. You and I both know what you've done. And I'll carry you home. I'm going to carry you home in my teeth. And it's like, that is so fucking good. Yeah. The idea that, that there's no, that there, that everyone's a victim in these situations and that the monster has a mother. Yeah. And the mother Everybody sees, it's mother. like, woo. And everybody is, Everybody is guilty and everybody is not. And it's like everybody's circumstance brings them to the place. And it's like, it's just so nuanced. I read an, uh, an article once where this gentleman whose son had been shot by another kid. And this gentleman went to the prison to visit this kid like for years. And he said in this article, there's victims on both sides of the gun. And I thought like, that's such a heavy thing to even come conceptualize. And then John writes this probably, he wrote this probably in 10 minutes you know, from the perspective of Grendel's mother. And I was like, ah, it's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to listen to mountain goats. They're one of those bands that I, I've, I've casually listened to in the past and I, yeah, I probably should listen to them again. If you, I'll try and pull it together. Like a, I'll pull together for you. Like a, a, a little bit of a, 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 a like a sampler because okay. there's just a lot of music. There's a lot. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why maybe I haven't dove in. The sunset tree is the record. If you want to start with just a record, yeah, the sunset tree is a, th- there's a lot of great stuff throughout the whole discography, but that record is a top to bottom is, is really strong. Which Good record, start. which record has this year? That's sunset tree. Okay. Cause one of the greatest lines I'm going to make it through this year. If it kills me, oh, dude, he's, he's so good. effortlessly good. He's yeah. the, my favorite lyricist. And he just, I mean, there's not, there's never a time when I listen to a mountain good song where there's not a line that just sideswipes me. It's Dylan esque in that way. Dylan does that too, where you, even if you don't like Bob Dylan, when you hear him say money doesn't talk, it swears. And it's like, yeah, shit you know what i mean like yeah, i'm in you know it's great <laughs> fun yeah all right uh so my next pick so i'm going with bruce coburn's pacing the cage you guys you guys familiar at all with bruce 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is from 96's Charity of Night, and this was a fitting song for the last several months, I feel like, because I think we're, we, we've all been pacing the cage. I've proven who I am so many times The magnetic strip's worn thin And each time I was someone else And everyone was taken in Powers chatter in high places Stir up eddies in the dust of rage And this is one of those songs that I needed at a particular time in my life. Um, I, I won't go into too many of the specifics, but I just felt like um, the, the lines of a proven who I am so many times, the magnetic strips worn thin. And each time I was someone else and everyone was taken in hours chatter in high places Strip eddies in the dust of rage set me to pace in the cage. Mm. I just, I just, yeah, it's so good. The song is just great. Um, and, and I, I was looking at Spotify today and cause I always thought that Bruce, Bruce's most popular songs, you know, wondering where the lions are or lovers, lovers in a dangerous, yeah. dangerous time. Those would have been his most listened songs. Um, no, this song is, has over 7 million listens. So, cool. yeah. Well, it just has a very, it ha, it can touch you on so many different levels. Like when I, when I listen to it, it, it has that getting old, but you're, I mean, and just the whole thing that gets, that goes along with it. That's that there's that anxiety of like, and I, I say the line about sometimes the map doesn't, you know, will not guide you. You can't see what's around the bend. And as you get older, you it's, it it's, it's even more true. And just that, just the anxiety that this song creates, it's just, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's a great song. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah, song. He's, he's a monster writer. I mean, my first whole th- thing with Bruce Coburn, not to dial it back to you too, but you know, in God part two, Bono quotes lovers in a dangerous time. I heard a singer on the radio late last night. He said, he's going to kick the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was like, first of all, I was bummed that Bono didn't write that line. And then I investigated <laughs> further and I was like, God, I mean, cause that's a stupidly good line. I'm going to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. It, like, it, and the, uh, yeah, he's yeah. a real good, very underappreciated, uh, lyricist. Um, and, uh, if I ever find the time to finish one of my novels, Wayne, uh, last night of the world, the song. Uh, is an inspiration on some crucial chapters of one of my books. So I'm telling you, Darlington County by uh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> last, what's the, what's the Bruce Coburn song that you did? Last night of the world. Last last night of the world. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, That's great. I love this. Another um, another great line. If this was the last night of the world, what would I do uh, except to have champagne with you? Yeah, that's great. So that's great. 
By the way, I didn't include Paul Simon either. I was just thinking about it for some reason. Bruce Coburn made me think. Paul Simon, I think, is one of our geniuses, obviously, lyrically. Yeah. And and there was just too many to to bring up. So I just wanted to give yeah. him a shout out during the lyric during the lyric episode here. You know, and I will say this, Paul Simon's name has been brought up probably at least ten times by our guests where they're like, well, I almost thought about doing this Paul Simon. And I think that everybody has the same anxiety that most people do where we haven't done, we haven't done a Rolling Stones record yet. We've only done one Dylan episode. We've only done, we've only done one Beatles episode. What record did you do for Dylan? Uh, uh, blood on the tracks and i almost picked uh, simple twist of fate i that was on i i had that because that's another story that just goes it's just it was i i remember hearing it but until i actually sat down and listened to it a couple times and read the lyrics and then just and just got trapped inside this guy's story from this from beginning meeting this girl till trying to find this girl and all the things that happened in between a simple twist of fate just barely missed yeah he, um, right. Yeah, Dylan's got – I just can I just do a Dylan thing? Please. I was going to do there, – there's a couple songs I wanted to do, and I'm going to look it up so I don't screw this up. But um, there's a, the, the, um, Visions of Johanna. And the, so he's got um, – ain't it just like the night to play tricks when you're trying to be so quiet? We sit here stranded that we're doing our best to deny it. And then he's got this line about um, in Desolation Row, which is my favorite. I'm sorry to do this to bring other other non, but he talked in uh, this is so good. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on. He talks about um, so Visions of Johanna. That is definitely my favorite song off of Blonde on Blonde. Oh, dude, sweet. And we just talked about we just talked a little bit about Blonde yeah. on Blonde. We had Matthew Cause from Not a Surf on uh, a couple weeks ago and i i tried to get him to do an episode on blonde on blonde because they have a song about blonde on blonde right and and so we ended up not doing it um but he and i both agreed that visions of johanna was the best song on that record and and oh mercy is is one of my favorite dylan records Mm -hmm. too which is funny because it's a later it's an 80s dylan record but that line about cinderella the whole verse cinderella she seems so easy it takes one to no one she smiles and puts her hand in her back pockets betty davis style and in comes romeo he's moaning you belong to me i believe and someone says you're in the wrong place my friend you better leave and the only sound that's left after the ambulances go is Cinderella sweeping up on Desolation Row. I mean, are you fucking joking that that's, I mean, it is, that is so compact and perfectly done. That is Raymond Carver. You know what I mean? Like efficient. Oh my God. Which record is that one on? Oh, that's the, that's the verse in Desolation Row. Okay. So uh, it's like that, that murders me. Like, the fact that he says, like, he gets this whole story in six lines that that there was a fight, and, you know, all you have, it's like all show don't tell. And someone says, you're in the wrong place, my friend, you better leave. And so you're like, well, how does the story end? And then he just, the next line is, and the only sound that's left after the ambulances go is Cinderella. So it's like, what? that is next level good. Yeah. 
We could go on and on about Dylan. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. All right, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I'm just staring at this at the lyrics. Just put simple twist of fate. We got it. We got to move on before I start. Yeah, I let's do it. it. Let's do more later. Oh shit! All right, Wayne, what do you got? What's next? Uh, Bastards of Young by the Replacements. Westerberg, I think, is he's got his own unique style. And having listened to the replacements, um, even just going back and starting from the beginning and seeing his and, and listening to his evolution. And like I, I've, I've long said, I think All Shook Down uh, is one of is a, just one of the most underappreciated records of the 90s. Um, it should have been a Paul Westerberg uh, solo so record. And it's brilliant. But I love this song. I love Bastards of Young. It's my favorite replacement song. And there's these great lines in it that I think somehow sneak past people. And um, the the one that always sticks out is it it beats picking cotton and waiting to be forgotten. Like he is saying historically, it could be worse. Like he's, he's talking about his generation, which we're kind of in the same. He's on the one end of it and we're on the other end of it. We don't have a a war to name us. I guess we kind of got desert storm if you want to call that a war, but um, that line, it, it, it doesn't, it comes off genuinely, you know, he's, it could be worse. Like as bad as I'm saying, dreams unfulfilled, graduate unskilled, uh, it, it could be worse. We could, it could definitely be better. Uh, but then, then the line about the income tax, uh, deduction, one hell of a function. I mean, how, having felt like that was all you were to your parents, is a, is a, is a tax deduction. So, you know, so self-deprecating. And like I say, even the line about unwilling to claim us, we got an award to name us. Uh, It just, he has all of these great lines and, and, and this isn't, this is, this is kind of after he's grown into it, he's got into it because he definitely, I think, picks up steam from here in his career and starts writing even, even, even more complex and clever and better songs. Did you ever finish trouble boys? I'm, I'm halfway through. Come on, man. I know. I don't read enough. And that's, that's one. It's on my list of things to do better. Did you you ever see bastard? If you YouTube and you can find it bastards of young when they did it on uh, SNL. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. God, it's so good. And just like say the last verse, I don't want to forget about the last verse. Cause I mean, the way he puts that all together with the ones we, you know, uh, the ones that love us best are the ones we'll lay to rest. I mean, our parents. And I mean, having read trouble boys to the point I have these guys, you know, it wasn't always easy for the, their parents. And, but all we try to do even as, you know, in general is rebel against these people who, who, who do love us and gave us life. And all we're trying to do is separate ourselves from them and try to impress all of these other people, friends, coworkers, contemporaries. And at the end of the day, we're missing, you know, this, this contrast between it is just, it's, it's, 
underappreciated. He's a, it was brilliant. He's a, he's the king of the, of the, of kind of those zingers, right? Like feeling like a hundred bucks. It's, you know, like he takes things that he, he's that kind of songwriter where he'll do. um, It happens a lot in the solo stuff too. It's a wonderful lie. I still get by on those. It's like such a great, he just turns the phrase and changes something in it. Like, and I was thinking about on the same record, here comes a regular, oh, um, good like yeah. a person can work up a mean, mean thirst after a hard day oh, and yeah. nothing much yeah. at all. And then he says, summer's past. It's too late to cut the grass. There ain't much to rake anyway in the fall. The fall is what it, that's, that's such a great line. Like that's the time you rake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's just that guy. He's, He's really good. Uh, I mean, and and on the Saturday Night Live of Bastards of Young, when he says, the ones who love us least are the ones we die to please. And then he looks at the camera and winks. Mm-hmm. He he just hated everybody. And he was so unsatisfied. Literally, that's that song. <laughs> and it's, and, and to, to give Glenn Phillips credit, the first time I heard Unsatisfied, Toad, back in the 90s, he opened a song called Know Me. By playing on he by playing like a little minute of unsatisfied, nice, uh, nice, which is great. My man, Paul Westerberg is a treasure. Ah, oh, it's a great choice, Wayne. Great choice, absolutely. All right, Matt, what's your next choice? I don't know. I kind of want to p- pull it and get some Westerberg in there. Um, <laughs> it, it's just this was impossible. Music is just so good. Um, let's talk about "Fairy Tale of New York" by the Pogues. Let's. Yes. Which I think is the, one of the best songs of all time and the best Christmas song of all time. It is the best Christmas song. I could have been someone. Well, so could anyone. You took my dreams from me when I first found you. I kept them with me, by I put them with my own. Can't make it all alone I built my dreams around you The boys in the NYPD chorus The singing go away by And the bells are ringing out For Christmas Day Shane McGowan is um, Next level like, like, Like a poet And this song, so the song for people who don't know is sort of like, I guess it's the devolving of a relationship. Is that the right way to say that word? It's like the, it's this relationship that starts amazing. It feels so very Irish. And it's like, it's, it was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. Uh, An old man said to me, won't see another one. And then he sang a song, the rare old Mountain Dew. I turned my face away and dreamed about you. And that's like, got, got on a lucky one, came in 18 to one. So he's talking about, he's a gambler. Yep. He's in, he's, he's an alcoholic. Yep. He's in jail. I've got a feeling this year's for me and you. And it's like, that is heartbreaking, right? That line is so heartbreaking because you know, people that, that just, you know, that person. And he's like, my luck's going to come like, trust me. And then it's like, so happy Christmas. I love you, baby. I can see a better time when all our dreams come true. Then the song shifts yeah. and it becomes like sort of upbeat kind of an Irish jig 
And it's like, they've got, and then it's her singing. They've got cars big as bars. They've got rivers of gold, but the wind goes right through you. It's no place for the old. When you first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve, you promised me Broadway was waiting for me. And it's this optimistic moment, right? And then he, she goes, you were handsome. He goes, you were pretty. And then they, Queen of New York City, when, and then they sing together. When the band finished playing, they howled out for more. Sinatra was swinging. All the drunks, they were, they, they were singing. We kissed on a corner and danced through the night. And then the song morphs into this beautiful, uplifting, like heartbreakingly sad Irish like celebration of like, and the boys in the, of the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay and the bells were ringing out for Christmas day. And you're like, Oh my God, this is going to be great. And it's sunny and it moves and there's fiddles. And then she sings, you're a bum, you're a punk. And then he says, you're an old slut on junk lying there almost dead on a drip in that bed. And then you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, lousy faggot. Happy Christmas. Your ass. I, I pray to God it's our last. And it's like, but it's going in the same jaunty way, right? So it's like this, it's like a, it's like, and it's so Irish. This is how, how all of my, like, this is how holidays go where it's like inevitably somebody gets drunk. It starts off great. And then somebody gets shit faced and then it starts to devolve and you can see it start to skid off its wheels. And then it's, and this song swings back into the boys of the NYPD choir still singing Galway Bay. And you're like, this is so good. This is like the fight is happening. And they're shit talking each other, but it still feels optimistic, right? Then the final verse, it downgrades into like the real dagger moment. It's like, she says, I could have been someone. Or no, he says, I could have been someone. And she says, well, so could anyone. You took my, and, and then she says, you took my dreams from me when I first found you. And this is where it gets like, not name calling, but like real fucking, this is the shit. This is the, like the wounds that they haven't dealt with and that, that have nothing to do with each other. He's like, I could have been someone. And she's like, well, so could anyone. You took my dreams from me when I first found you. And he says, I kept them with me, babe. I put them with my own. I can't make it all alone. I built my dreams around you. And it's like, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is, it's like, I built my dreams. He's saying to her, she's like, you took my dreams from me when I found you. And he says, I built my dreams around you. And it's like, if that and the dynamic of their relationship is all there and and then it swings back in for the final the boys of the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay and the bells were ringing out and it stops like and the bells were ringing out for Christmas day and then it just fades out on the drummer doing these kind of like snare rolls and the essentially the fiddle and the sad sort of like Irish jig and it just fades out it's a perfect song it's perfect and tying back to elvis costello wayne so um mcgowan basically said that costello who was producing which one did he rumsabi and the lash yeah Yeah, is that true yeah Yeah. and and he basically said that elvis uh made a bet with him saying you you can't write a christmas song Challenge accepted. So there it is. And the other Elvis Costello link is that he, Elvis's second wife yeah. was Kat, the big player in the Pogues, as you know. And then uh, Joe Strummer, your other favorite of, of your other favorite band, produced the Pogues record after Flash of Fall from Grace of God, maybe Love and. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So Joe, no, he, Hell's Ditch was the name of the record that he produced, I believe. Let me do some searching. But gotcha. anyway, 
But the Pogues were punk rock in there. And if you, Shane McGowan used to go to all the punk shows in, in London. That was just how he did it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Am I up? Am I the next one? It's you. Yeah, I, guess. I think it is. All right. So my next, my next song is your new twin size bed from death cab for cutie. And this is from 2008's narrow stairs. You've got some death cab ties with drummer Jason McGurr. Yeah. And Ben and Nick. Yeah. I've known those guys for a long time. Fantastic. Um, best opening verse ever. I think, uh, I told my brother that I was doing an episode about great lyrics and his response was, um, all of my picks would be Ben Gibbard songs. <laughs> so yeah, Ben, Ben's a powerhouse lyricist. Yeah. It's crazy, but, this opening verse, I mean, you look so defeated lying there in your new twin size bed with a single pillow underneath your single head. I guess you decided that that old queen was more space than you would need. Now it's in the alley behind your apartment with a sign that says it's free. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Uh, anyways, I just, I, I've always, I've always loved. Uh, the song um, I could have picked like five different songs off of that record. It that record is bonanza, um, and Transatlanticism is still one of my favorite records of all time. So, yeah, yep. Um, yeah. any anything else on on uh, this song? Oh, I, it just because it has a feel from listening to it because I, I I only heard it in passing prior to this and listening to it because it has this because it, it feels to me much more like uh I, you're not coming back like I, I i tell a little bit too much about myself I, I i moved out of my parents house when i was very young and they immediately moved into a smaller apartment so when it when it when it became difficult there was no place to go back to and it definitely has that kind of a feel like this guy is making it out that this that sh- that the other person is is the one that they're switching to a single bed, you know, how sad and defeated when it keeps, it prevents the other person from coming back. Hmm. I never looked at it from that angle. Wow. Yeah. That's why I keep you on as my co-host Wayne. <laughs> I, I can say my, my personal uh, experience with that is, is a little, hurts a little bit. Uh, it come, it came in handy finally. Perfect. All right. What's your next pick? Well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with, uh, Life on Mars by the, oh my God. the most greatest artist I, I think ever lived on the face of the planet. I, I never will forget. Like I was eight years old and my, my uncle came up to Alaska to stay with us for the summer. And he 
he when he left, he gave me Changes One Bowie on record because he on vinyl because he had got it on eight track, which I still think is hilarious. But <laughs> so my first rock and roll record was was David Bowie's first greatest hits compilation. And so and this song, crazily enough, is not on it. Changes is on it, but um, oh, you pretty thick because I think Changes is the fourth best song on Hunky Dory. Uh, and this, to me, this is one of the best songs ever. It's probably my da- favorite David Bowie song, and it 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 creates this. I mean, he's almost like this all-knowing, godlike figure. Because when you read this song now, it completely works in today's context. Totally. Um, you know the you know problems with their parents, but you know life is a movie, and she's she's seen this you know this scene before. So there's this escapism. There's reality TV. There's media manipulation with as they uh, as they ask her to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall, and and then of course how about take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. It's just like my favorite lyric. He is my favorite. This was 1977. That this guy. It's just it it um to read it. It blows my mind. And like I say, to listen, listening to this song, I think I listened to it, you know, probably a hundred times before it. And I never read the lyrics, but I, all I knew is it made me, it just makes me feel good. It's just this great song. And, and, and David Bowie, I can listen to David. I listen to hunky dory, uh, uh, every other week, at least I don't, I don't let it go two weeks without listening to that record. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And this song is the highlight of that. But like I say, all of the stuff that's in here, the Mickey Mouse reference, like is a cow, like this whole thing. It's like, it looks like one thing, but you know, as you grow up, it looks, it's something different. It's on the Merry Cow's tortured brow That Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow Now the workers have struck for fame Lennon's on sale again See the mice in their million hordes From Ibiza to the Norfolk broads Rule Britannia is out of bounds To my mother, my dog and clowns But the film is a sad thing for Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be writ again as I ask you to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall. Oh, man. Um, and the linen's on sale. It's not linen. It sounds like he's saying linen like like sheets, but it's, Len- it's John Lennon. It's the whole, you know, it's everything's for sale. It's all of this stuff that is still going on today that he put into a song in 1977. Yeah, he's, he's the best. <laughs> I mean, he really, and that... And the hook, the way that the chorus comes in melodically and chord change-wise in the strings, you know, like, sailors fighting in the dance hall. It's like, I didn't really get this lyrically until I was, another Toad the Wet Sprocket thing, I was at hanging out in Santa Barbara with Glenn, and he had a friend named Bruce, and Bruce was on the lawn of this house that they lived, and he was learning this song on acoustic guitar. And it was the first time that I like read the lyrics really hit me where I was like, where it's like, Oh my God, take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. Like sailors fighting in the dance hall. Look at those cavemen go. All of a sudden I realized it wasn't just this beautiful melody 
and he sort of, I had just ignored the lyrics because the song itself is so beautiful and uplifting. Like you said, like the chorus just sweeps in, but that's, what's so great about it. Then the lyrics are these sort of super dark, um, super dark lyrics. And that line in young, weird, I was, I was my favorite Bowie line is in young Americans where he says, he says, um, they pulled in just behind the bridge. He lays her down, you know, and he says, she took his ring, took his babies. It took him minutes and it took her nowhere. That, that's yeah. a fucking great no, And that's life. my second favorite Bowie song. And that yeah. for exactly like I said about Bruce Springsteen, sometimes people, they'll tell a story. Sometimes it feels like they tell your story. And that's one of those songs that it always, I, ever since I was 16, it just drug me in. And it felt like it was, he can sings this song and it's like he's singing about you. And it doesn't seem like it was 1978. It seems like he's, it's right now, like he's omnipotent and he's, he's watching you from somewhere and writing songs about you. It, it, yeah. He was just incredible. I can't, I could literally not say enough nice things about David Bowie. And one of the lines that I think is so 21st century is workers have struck for the, for fame, like that whole reality TV and everybody's gets to, and the internet, everybody gets to be famous that like striking. And then he uses Lenin. So it almost sounds like the, you know, the Russian revolutionary, but it's, 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 it's people that just want to, they just want to be famous. They want their 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah he was, a, he was, a, he was a monster all the way to the end. The, like the way he did his last Absolutely. record. What an incredible way to go. Like his life was the, the final performance art moment. It was like. Lazarus kills me. Yeah. Oh. So good. All right, Matt, what's your next pick? I'll do Phoebe Bridger's funeral. And we talk until we think we might just kill ourselves. But then we laugh until it disappears. And last night I blacked out in my car. And I woke up in my childhood bed. Wishing I was someone else. Feeling sorry for myself when I remembered someone's kid is dead. Jesus Christ, I'm so blue all the time. And that's just how I feel Always have And I always will I always have Which I think is a, a, probably one of my favorite songs of the last 10 years. Um, I'll do it real. I'll just go through because it's kind of a story again. I'm singing at a funeral tomorrow for a kid a year older than me. And I've been talking to his dad. It makes me so sad. When I think too much about it, I can't breathe. And I have this dream where I'm screaming underwater while my friends are all waving from the shore. And I don't need you to tell me what that means. I don't believe in that stuff anymore. And then the chorus says, Jesus Christ, I'm so blue all the time. That's just how I feel. Always have and I always will. And then she says, I have a friend I call when I've bored myself to tears. And we talk until we think we might kill ourselves. And then we laugh until it disappears. And last night I blacked out in my car and I woke up in my childhood bed wishing I was someone else feeling sorry for myself when I remembered someone's kid is dead. And it's like, that's just fucking great. I mean, like, so good. The yeah. dawn, it, you, you know, exactly. She, without telling you, I mean, she tells you about herself, but there's so much more depth that you know exactly who she is when she sings that. And it's like, and the fact that she, you watch her 
come into like self self reflection and like and self and it's like you watch it dawn on her in the song as it evolves and it's like that's an incredible moment that i just think this is like next level writing it's just so good yeah Mm. and we almost did a phoebe bridgers episode with uh liz longley but she uh postponed on us indefinitely so dude anytime liz if you're listening we need you to come back on so and and the and the song too is like melodically it's just like i almost included the song that i almost included that i didn't was um do are you guys familiar with the red house paint you know red house painters and Mm -hmm. and sun kill moon yes there's there's another song by sun kill moon called glenn tipton i love that song that follows a similar thing to the mountain goats and a similar thing to funeral. And it's like, you follow this whole story. I, maybe I'll do this one instead of, but I got it. Anyway, you follow this story in Glenn Tipton it's going and you're off following it. And, and then there's this moment where you realize that like, that, you know, each verse builds this story about this guy and you kind of get more insight into him. And then in the final verse, he says, I buried my first victim when I was 19, went through her bedroom and the pockets of her jeans. I found her letters that said so many things that, that really hurt me bad. And it's like, all of a sudden you realize he's a fucking serial killer. And it's like, it's one of the greatest songs of all time. I didn't include it because I'm an idiot, I guess, but it's, uh, <laughs> but Phoebe Bridgers and the mountain goats to me occupy that same thing where it's very literature driven. It feels like it, there's a, like, like you said, Wayne about Springsteen, but even a step further where there's a twist at the end that they, that, and that's, it's like a joke. It's like a good joke where you, you're like, well, I know where this is going. And then it takes a left turn and you're like, I didn't see that coming. And Glenn Tipton and funeral that they do that in that way. Yeah. I got to review that, uh, that particular record back in Oh three. And, uh, I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, who, who else would name a song after one of the guitarists of Judas priest? Dude, only, <laughs> Only Mark Koslick. And I had a moment the other day where I was, I guess it wasn't the other day, but maybe like five or six months ago, I was feeling kind of low and I was feeling low on San Francisco, which I love. And I've lived here a long time. And, and I was just feeling like kind of aimless and sad. And I went to a bookstore in North beach. That's a famous city lights bookstore. It's a really famous beat bookstore. And I went in and like, I just wanted to just kind of immersed myself in San Francisco. So I kind of walked around North beach and I went into the bookstore and it, and I got charged up by being around all that literature and all that beautiful fucking creative stuff. And the bookstores in this old, amazing building. And as I'm leaving, kind of feeling like I'm kind of getting back on track, Mark Koslick walks in and I was like, and I thought I'm going to be okay. Like, like this, this city still got it. Like if Mark Koslick still lives here and is going to city lights, like this, this city's weird and it's, and it's amazing. And I'm not gonna, you know, it was just a great moment. It was a great San Francisco moment where he walked in and I was like, Oh fuck, everything's going to be okay. Mark Kozlik still lives in San Francisco. (laughs) You know, that's awesome. That's awesome. Though I will, I, I I will go on record of saying I like KK Downing. (laughs) I do too, actually. KK Downing guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, all right. I think I'm next. Uh, so I'm going with one wing from Wilco and I love Jeff Tweedy. I could, I could have picked probably 20 different songs by, by Jeff, but 
this one always kind of killed me. And there's not a whole lot of lyrics to it, so I'll just kind of read it. But um, uh, and it's very much, I think, kind of a story type of poet poem. Uh, we belong to a bird who casts a shadow on this world. You were a blessing, and I was a curse. I did my best not to make things worse for you. It it isn't true. Um, so he always knew. This would be our fate. This is what happens when we separate. This happens all dead weight. Eventually, we may as well have been made of stone. We can't be formed. One wing will never fly, neither yours nor mine. One wing will never fly, dear, neither yours nor mine. I fear we can only wave goodbye. And oh. that's that's essentially the the essence of it is one wing. You can only with one wing you, you the only thing that you're good for is to wave goodbye it just anyways it it kills me i have seen this song played live a number of times cuz Wayne you know that i'm a wilco nerd and uh so uh yeah this is this is a great song no that's awesome the, the i think jeff tweedy's a i think there i like for me, Summer Teeth is the lyric heavy record, obviously, like the one that I feel like it's the darkest, obviously, too. Yeah. Like, this is pretty dark, but that, that line in a, a shot, I mean, the whole lyric for a shot in the arm, but when he says, the ashtray says you you were up all night. Like, That's wow. so good. Yeah. And it's like, he's, ah. uh, and we recorded that Chicago EP at the Wilco Loft. I know. Um, I know. We talked about that last last time we oh, had. We there. did. Yeah, it was one of the greatest. Just to be in that kind of proximity to a place where that band is like an organism of of like, and Jeff Tweedy's a creative. He really is just like a engine of rad creativity. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's cool. God, so good. So good. Uh, Wayne, your next pick. This next pick is not, I, I say, I have to, I want to preface this by saying it's, it, it all boils down to one line where it, it came from. So the song is trained by Va- train in vain by the clash. When I was younger, it's not a typical Clash song. It it's uh, it's a Mick Jones song. 
It makes more sense once Big Audio Dynamite came out. It kind of made more sense. But there's a the line in it is, so alone I keep the wolves at bay. And I don't think any line ever has affected me and just I just captured, you know, my my essence in it. And to the point where I got it tattooed on not only did I get the words tattooed on my forearm, I have my whole left arm is this is basically based around the idea of keeping the wolves at bay. There's a torch holding back wolves that are jumping off this uh, cliff. It's it it all boils down to that idea because it, it's so filled with not, not only is it empowering, but it's, it's also so desperate at the same time. Like it just, it all comes down to that. And I mean, the whole song, once you get your first big life uh, kick in the head, then it, the whole song makes a little bit, the first time a girl really breaks your heart, you get that whole, you know, you said you'd stand by me, but not at all. All of that came later. It all boiled down to this one line of feeling like it's you, you know, you keeping the wolves at bay. And, and, and what's funny about it is as you grow older and you get to a point in life where maybe there's not so many wolves to hold at bay, you realize that all along, you never really were holding them at bay all alone. There's always been people, whether they taught you something that helped you keep the wolves at bay or whether it was spite to prove somebody wrong that helped you keep the wolves at bay. You never really keep the wolves at bay all by yourself. Yes. Wayne. Jesus. That's great. That is great. This, this song is super important to me, not because of the lyrics, but, um, you know, I had my first radio when I was eight, you know, I had one of those handheld AM radios back in, you know, the, 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 the mid late seventies. And I remember hearing this Wayne, if you remember KNBQ, like every like everybody was listening to like KTAC, but I was listening to KNBQ, and they played this song, and I was like, "What in the world? This does not sound like my parents' music. This doesn't sound like you know." Because I think what was what was super popular in '79, like Rod Stewart was su- still super popular. Like my Sharon, you be right. Yeah. My Sharon, my my Sharon was getting lots of play. Um, it was at the height of of yacht rock, and I, I love I love me some yacht rock. But this song, this song was so different. Where I even got like my 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 dad's. Uh, tape recorder and I taped it off the radio and I waited probably an hour and a half to record it because it wasn't on, you know, the, the, the hour long um, rotations that they did back in the day. I mean, I waited for, for this song to come on again. And I think that this song kind of shaped what kind of music I would listen to in the eighties. So this was super important to me, even though I'm not the punk Wayne that you, that, that you are. And, and that's neither is this song though. And I think that yeah. in, in a way it's completely, it's completely different from the, from a clash song. It doesn't sound like a clash song, but at the heart of it isn't, you know, isn't that what being punk rock's all about is going left when someone thinks you're going to go right. Yeah, yeah, and and lost in the supermarket is another class song that sort of doesn't feel another Mick Jones song. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, Mick was definitely the yeah, dynamic. Yep. Yeah. 
All right, Matt, what's what's your last pick? All right, I'm going to pick – I had to pick a Kanye West record because I feel like he's sort of uh, – I think he's like one of the most important artists of our life. Um, and th- this is a song where like it's going to be hard to – if there's anybody who's – I've already obviously said the F-bomb many times here. But so this is definitely the moment where if you're not – if if you're a malleable or hate dirty words, this is not your you know words. Yeah, I always I always tell our guests we try to keep it PG thirteen for the episodes. There's nothing PG thirteen about these lyrics. No, and it's it, they're so good. Yeah, I mean the song is so good. His performance is so good. But they wasn't satisfied unless I picked the car and myself. You see his broke nigga race him. That's that don't touch anything in the stove. And his rich nigga race him. That's that come in, please buy more. What you want? A Bentley fur coat, a diamond chain. All you blacks want all the same thing. Used to only be niggas. Hey, by playing, spending anything on Alexander Wang, new slaves. So I'll just read the lyrics. Um I'm obviously not going to, there's a lot of N-word in this song, and uh, I'm going to refer to it as N. Um, uh, it's not my place to to repeat it, even though, you know, it's in there a lot. And I think it's it's really effective that it's in there from, from like a listener standpoint, but it's not, obviously not my place. My mama was raised in the era when... Clean water was only served to the fairer skin. Doing clothes, you would have thought I had help, but they weren't satisfied unless I picked the cotton myself. You see, it's broke and racism. So that N is signifying the word, obviously. See, it's broke and racism. That's that don't touch anything in the store. And it's rich and racism. That's that come in, please buy more. What you want a Bentley? Fur coat, a diamond chain, all you blacks want all the same things. Used to only be ends, now everybody's playing. Spending everything on Alexander Wang, new slaves. You see, there's leaders and there's followers, but I'd rather be a dick than a swallower. You see, there's leaders and there's followers, but I'd rather be a dick than a swallower. I throw these, this part gets, again, this is tough. It's like, it gets violent and misogynistic and shitty. So I'm not condoning that, but I still feel like I still feel that it's an important uh, song lyrically. So I throw these Maybach keys. I wear my heart on the sleeve. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I know that we, the new slaves, I see the blood on the leaves. I see the blood on the leaves. He repeats that. I know that we, the new slaves, they throw in hate at me, want me to stay at ease. Fuck you and your corporation. Y'all ends can't control me. I know that we the new slaves. I know that we the new slaves. I'm about to wild the fuck out. I'm going Bobby Boucher. I know that pussy ain't free. You ends pussy ain't me. Y'all throwing contracts at me. You know that ends can't read. Throw on some Maybach. Throw throw them Maybach keys. Fuck it, say la vie. I know that we the new slaves. Y'all ends can't fuck with me. UN's can't fuck with yay, can't fuck with yay. I'll move my family out of the country so you can't see where I stay. So go and grab the reporters so I can smash their recorders. See, I'll confu- they'll confuse us with some bullshit like the New World Order. Meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA. They trying to lock ends up. 
They trying to make new slaves. See, that's the that's that privately owned prison. Get your piece today. They probably all in the Hamptons bragging about what they made. Fuck you in your Hampton house. I'll fuck your Hampton spouse. Came on her Hampton blouse and in her Hampton mouth. Y'all about to turn shit up. I'm about to tear shit down. I'm about to air shit out. Now what the fuck are they going to say now? And then it goes on. And obviously, it's tough to read. That, but um, but I, I think that, you know, but it's I think it's an important, uh, I think it's important lyrics. And I think it's really well done. And I, you know, it's like um, I can, I can sing the praises of its genius while not condoning everything that's said in it. And I think that the, obviously the part there at the end that gets uh, misogynistic and shitty, I'm not into it, but as a song, uh, lyrically, it really, it, it uh, blows my mind. Like for people who have known that institutionalized racism exists, for people who know that, but then you hear this and then you hear, and every, that was what was so heartbreaking. I mean, it's been heartbreaking on many levels, but realizing the depth that our country has, the the depths of it and that, that, that it's really so deep, that racism runs so deep that it's in like the fabric. And this song talks about it like in, in and all hip hop all you know all the hip hop that like 99 problem you know all hip hop when it talks about the police and it talks about society and all that stuff but for some reason this one is just so like aggressive and and like furious and articulate and like it just blows my mind so i i don't really have anything it's like it's hard to comment as a white guy to me, this song is like a going to class, like and being taught, and it's incredible. I, I, I and the whole record that this is on is, I mean, Kanye is just really great lyricist, and he he's never not amazing. And this song, for some reason, just fits. It, it just hits me in a really. It feels like punk rock in that in that way, where he's just. It's not following a formula. It's just like a fucking rant, and it's incredible it makes you want to join the movement it it does it makes you see the the injustice yeah and it makes you feel even though i have no reference point to it the song is so effective that i feel the furiousness and i feel the fucking injustice of it all and it's like and he does that and that's incredible because i've never felt that i am the furthest from that i'm you know i've never been pulled over because I, of the color of my skin or stopped for going into my house, my own house, or, you know, had the shit kicked out of me by the police or it's like, and I've never had people be racist to me. And then because I was, you know, like there's just so much in it. It's so good. He, he's so good. I, I, and I felt the exact same way the first time I heard straight out of Compton. I, I think Ice Cube, I considered um, a number of different Ice Cube songs. I think he's a, he is a great lyricist. And like I say, what's captured on Straight Outta Compton is like, I, you're right. I mouth off to the cops when they pull me over. Tell them, I don't know where the fuck you're hassling me, Johnny Law. And I, there's no fear in me at all. I remember watching the uh, comedians in cars having coffee 
And Jerry Seinfeld's got Chris Rock in the car and they're speeding in this big Plymouth big block down like the Long Island Expressway. And the cops lights come on and he looks at it. He Jerry Seinfeld looks at Chris Rock and goes, are you, are you nervous? And he goes, a little. I mean, he's Chris Rock, yeah. but he's a black man. And the cops are coming, and he instinctively is uh, is at is not at ease anymore. And like I say, fuck the police and and all that stuff off straight off the comp, gangster gangster. He he's you know Ice Cube wrote all that stuff. He he and it really captures something that I can only yeah. It makes it makes all your problems seem silly when you listen to the to the raw you know brutality of these of the words in these songs. Yeah. Yep. and. And when Chuck D, Chuck D's the only other real, like, for, like, as a kid growing up, I was super out on hip hop. It just, I think I just, it just didn't, I didn't relate to it. And I think I probably was, you know, I had judgments about it and all that kind of shit. And it just never caught me, but Public Enemy did. And like, but even that, like Chuck's voice is so powerful. And so when he says like Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me, man, you know, like, like, but, but, he de- but he delivers it in this way where you're like, it's like you're being taught by a professor, right? Kanye in this song, it's like you're, you're, it's like you're watching somebody fucking be assaulted and you're like, and you're, and you're watching them melt down in song and it's like it's a bra- it's incredibly fucking brave it, to be that transparent um and fearless is like in art is is everything yeah it's great i almost don't want to do my last pick <laughs> i for two reasons one that's a great way to just end an episode and we're like let's all let's all you know get out there and and you know fight the power um, the second reason is because my last pick is Glenn Phillips, who is probably the, um, the, the, he's, he's, he's the exact opposite of Kanye West. I feel like <laughs> Glenn, Glenn does, Glenn does honesty though. I think that that's like, Glenn is, I think it's sort of fitting if we're talking about the honesty of an artist, I think Glenn has real moments of being transparent. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's one of his real strengths when he does it, yeah. when he chooses to do it, it's, it's real palpable. Yeah. He's great. I, uh, I just watched one of his, his, uh, live Facebook things and, and he did, um, he did a cover of what's going on by Marvin Gaye, which was just fantastic. Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah. Um, all right. So my last pick and the last pick of the, of the night is from Glenn's, 2016 record swallowed by the new and this is a song called go and again it's it's poetry to me but there's no harbor here there's only danger near cliffs above and rocks below i don't want to waste your time this light can only shine to warn you far away
Um, this is, um, I believe that Swallowed by the New was essentially Glenn's divorce record. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of songs that are just, um, you know, talking about uh, moving on. And um, I'll, I'll just go to the, the, the chorus. Um, but there's no harbor here. There's only danger near. Cliffs above and rocks below. And I guess I probably should preface this. So uh, he's essentially talking about how he's, he's the lighthouse. And, um, so, so when he says there's no harbor here, there's only danger near cliffs above and rocks below. And though I want you close, this light can only glow to warn you far away from shore saying, I love you now, now go. So it's just, yeah, it's great. The song is just, this is another one of those songs that when I listen to it, it just, it just kills me. Um, and uh, the the closing where he's he says I'm still dreaming of your eyes your your mouth your touch, but I won't have another wreck upon my watch, and you you know which way to go. So, uh, anyways, it's just poetry to me, and it Glenn Glenn speaks to me on on a lot of different levels. So it's a great great song. Oh, great, I love yeah. it. Any any closing comments? Dude, we got to do another one of these. Like, I can't. No, I I need an outlet in my life where I get to talk about music. Like, I want to talk more about lyrics. I want to talk more about records. I, it's like, count me in any time. It's like I want to do Lou Reed, New York, which is one of my favorite records. Uh, and I, of all you know, time. it's funny. We've been listening to Marky Moon, and there's there's something there's something very Lou Reed. There's something very Velvet Underground in it, kind of buried in the back. But it just, I all I could, whenever someone says the word New York to me. I instantly think of Lou Reed in those big, dark aviator sunglasses. It's one of the very first images that pops in my mind when someone says New York. Uh, that's great. Yeah. And television, another, you know, like definitely New York. Did you read Please Kill Me? No. By Legs McNeil? No, have not. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, dude. Wait. I mean, another one for the uh, for the uh, the list? It's one of the greatest rock biographies about punk the rise of punk in new york okay. it's one of the greatest books of all time it's unbelievable nice i gotta read it again tonight i mean it's like and it's one of those ones where it's sort of like everybody gives their it's one of those where like everybody talks about an event yeah and it's like different people's voices and uh you know like patty smith talks and then you know richard lloyd talks and then it's it's incredible I've I've read Patty's biography autobiography, but I have just kids, right? Not yeah. the M train. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. nuts. Yeah, she's 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 in a good way. Yeah. For yeah, in in she's there's certain people I always see it as like a spectrum. And there's like um people that live their life feeling inspired by other people. And then it moves. So like on the far left of the spectrum are people that feel like they're not inspiring to anyone. And then on the and then it moves right, and so people are inspired by everybody as the as the dial moves to the right. So if I I feel like I'm somewhere like in the middle where I can be inspiring to people, but I'm definitely not inspiring in the way that Basquiat was inspired. You know what I mean? Because bat. So it's like you you and to me, Patti Smith and Flea and Basquiat, they live all the way to the right, like in this way where it's just like 
Patty Smith embodies creativity as a human. Like she sees the world and she processes the world and she, and she spits out the world through herself in this way that like is artists all the way from, from top to bottom. And it's like, and just kids is so good because of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. even if you don't like Patty Smith, that book is magical. It really is because she, she's magical. She really is a magical being like creatively as a conduit. She really has just, that muscle is so it's, it's so strong in her. It's great. Love it. Well, I just purchased, please kill me on Amazon. Should be here in two days. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to talk about it. That's good. Matt, you just, you just essentially, talked Wayne out of buying another t-shirt by ha- him buying a book. So that's, no, no, no. that's good. I, I'm not going to get into it, but let's suffice it to say I had a trip planned that got canceled and United had to refund my money and it all went back on my Amazon credit card. Oh, so now no. I, I'm like, I'm like negative $700. I was like t-shirts for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was joking. I was joking with another, um, podcaster, uh, this last week, Wayne, where, um, he's been doing these zoom meetings and I guess he's been wearing a different hat in each one of them. And somebody said, yeah, you should wear a different hat in all of your zoom meetings and all of your episodes. He was like, well, that would get expensive. And so I, I tweeted at him. I said, not as easy as it sounds. I said, my co-host has, has done over a hundred episodes and he's worn a different shirt for every single dang episode. <laughs> ah, that's so good. So, so step up your game, Mr. Podcaster. Anyways. Um, all right. Where am I going with this? All right. So next time we have you on, are we doing X? Are we doing Lou Reed? Are we doing Prince? Let me, let me think about it. Let me, let me sort of get a, behind a record. Like the, how about nothing shocking by Jane's addiction or I could get behind that. Yeah. So many good ones. I mean, it's, I'll think about it and I'll send you a bunch of ideas. Sounds good. All right. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's let's wrap this up, Matt. Where where can people find you? Just I don't know anywhere. Matt Nathanson on Instagram, on Twitter, on the World Wide Web, everywhere. There you go. Uh, as a reminder, you can find all of our episodes by going to Records Revisited Podcast or all the major platforms. You know where to find us. Uh, Twitter at Podcast Records Wayne. Instagram page um, hasn't been updated for a while. What's going on there? Well, I was silent for that Tuesday. And then I, in all honesty, I just didn't, it didn't, it didn't seem right. <laughs> to, yeah. So I took a, I, I, yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, I got a couple of posts in the chamber, but I, I didn't, I just didn't feel like being involved in social media. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne. I know. I think we're all feeling that, uh, taking more sabbaticals from our socials. So, all right, here's the outro. Thanks for listening. Please support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but there's still live social media posts. I just here I'm just bad mouthing social media and <laughs> telling you to go, go find one of those, um, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, and now their record stores are starting to open up again. Go visit one of those. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sound right. like Screech from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs>